Um, so, uh, thank you, Sam, for praying. Thank you, Joby, for uh, singing that beautiful song. Um, you know, I just want to let the church know that I'm in Kerala, and because of which my internet is not the best. So, uh, please keep me in your prayers um, that there'll be no distractions or any issues. Uh, that together we can learn from the book of Hosea, and it will benefit all of us. So, we are uh, in the 23rd lesson in our series. Uh, for the last six to seven months, the Lord has been graciously teaching us about who He is uh, and His very heart for humanity, right? Um, and this is important for us to learn. And I was just thinking um, last night after a very long day that I had, I was just thinking, um, you know, the Lord has been taking us through this series, especially in the times that we're living in, uh, specifically to remind us of who He really is. You know, He's that sovereign God who is over all things, over COVID, over any viruses, over all uncertainties and everything. And throughout our series, every week, we've been reminded of that truth about God. Um, so I really hope that we don't miss that truth. Uh, we don't miss our focus. Uh, you know, it's great that we're going through this series and we're learning all these truths. And as we learn these truths, you know, let not our eyes be taken off uh, from this uh, God who is above all things. Um, and that especially in these days that we would always, uh, you know, these series, you know, these studies that we go through would help us to turn our eyes to God uh, in all things. Um, and I really hope that we won't miss that point. And church, I pray and I desire this morning to do only one thing. Um, okay, I hope I'm back. Uh, I decided to do only one thing this morning as we look at this uh, book, that is to point our hearts uh, to this merciful God uh, who has loved us with an everlasting love. And I want to help all of us to see uh, and magnify this God this morning. And I pray that this sermon will only glorify him alone and turn our eyes, to, turn our eyes from our selfish hearts uh, to Godfulness, you know, completely about him. Um, so this morning, we'll be looking at uh, one of the uh, difficult, um, you know, uh, prophetic books uh, called Hosea. And, you know, when we start reading this book, uh, usually when we finish reading the first chapter, or by the time we start reading this book, many of us will be having this question, you know, what is God really up to? You know, uh, in fact, I've heard, you know, haters of God's word say that, you know, look at things your God is asking your people to do. You know, is this the kind of God you want to follow? Um, so if you are someone who has read this book before, I am sure that you'd come across such questions when you started reading this book. But I hope, you know, you didn't stop reading the book after you read chapter one or chapter two. But you continue to read this book to see the very reason what God is doing and why God is asking such things. Um, and, and, and you really saw the very heart of God. Um, and that's. I've been studying through this book over the last few months. You know, it's been really humbling uh, for my heart uh, to see uh, what God uh, is really up to and who he really is. And I really hope, church, that it will humble our hearts as well this morning as we study together uh, through this book. Um, Hosea is a book that has about 14 chapters. So the task that I have is to cover this 14 chapters. I don't think I'm going to go through each chapter. But I, what I want to do this morning is give you an overview of this book. And after I do that, I want to spend some time to draw out some important practical applications that you and I can take. Um, as you can look in your outline, there are a lot of applications that I've put there. 
uh, don't worry we're not going to go through all of them uh, i just wanted to leave it there so that you know in during your quiet time when you go through this book or maybe in your uh, cell groups you can go through these questions uh, together and discuss them for your own hearts um so before we look into this book i want to give some important informations um about this book that we need to keep in mind um uh, before we look into the main message of this book so firstly um who wrote the book um so as you can see the title says it's hosea and in the first verse of this book we read like this the word of the lord that came to hosea the word of the lord that came to hosea so from that we can clearly understand that you know whatever this book contains is the message that god gave to hosea for a set of people um and and uh, because uh, halfway through the book there's a you know there's a change in the literary form many scholars believe that maybe there was few other people who helped write this book or complete this book um you know regardless of what um or whoever wrote it one thing is very clear this message was given by god to hosea maybe he shared it with others and they wrote this book or maybe he wrote the whole book we are not really sure about it however let's keep in mind that this is god's word for a specific specific people group with a specific reason given to hosea so let's keep that in in the back of our minds um so the next point that you can see is when was this book written so while isaiah and um micah were prophesying to the southern kingdom hosea was prophesying to the northern kingdom uh, to israel which is also called ephraim so you can see hosea using uh, the name ephraim a lot in this book and this was about 200 years after they had broken off from the southern uh, juda that we see in first kings now hosea was also um, called to speak to god's people during the reign of israel's worst king uh, that is king jeroboam jeroboam the second so it is believed that uh, based on what we read in first kings uh, that this entire prophesying or this word coming to hosea and he speaking to the northern kingdom happened around uh, 760 to 722 bc now we move on to the next point that is to whom this book was written and why so we know clearly that the message uh, was given to the israelites uh, god's chosen people and the reason this book was written was because um, god wanted to call out their unfaithfulness towards god you know their unfaithfulness towards god during the reign of jeroboam um, you know the nation was descending into chaos um and in the year 722 um you know history states and as we can study um in second kings we know that assyrian empires you know they swooped in and destroyed israel um so this was right before that um and the city and the nation was going into chaos there was a lot of um you know sins that these people got into you know the unfaithfulness of israelites um is explained in this book in uh, using different terms and different sins um and two of the themes that really stand out are material prosperity and spiritual bankruptcy you know those are the two main themes that stands out in the entire book um that kind of puts together the sins of uh, the israelites and in in a few moment we will look at that specifically uh but like i said this book has about 14 um you know 14 chapters um and we're not going to go through all the sections but we have divided uh this book into three different parts and we're going to look at this specifically what i want to do next is give you an overview of this book um and like i said it's an overview so just pay attention um and we'll go through this together 
So the first half of this book, that is chapter one to three, um, you know, it's it's titled as Hosea's Marriage to Gomer. Okay, so uh, as you can see in chapter one, you know, when you look at um, uh, actually when you first hear the book of Hosea, one of the first stories that comes to our mind is the story of Hosea and Gomer, right? God asking Hosea to go marry a prostitute, right? And this is how the book starts. If you look at verse two, it says, marry a wife of Hodem and have children of Hodem. Uh, basically marry a woman who sells her body to other men for sexual pleasures. This is what God is asking Hosea to do. And I'm sure when you read this, um, you know, you might be thinking, you know, why would God even ask Hosea to do such a thing, right? Um, go marry a prostitute or a harlot. Um, and we will come to that in a bit as to why God asked Hosea to do that. Uh, but we see that Hosea faithfully, you know, obeyed this. He went and he married, um, you know, despite God telling Hosea to marry um, a Goma, uh, someone who is unfaithful, someone who is given a body to other men. And we are not really sure if this is something that she did before the marriage or after the marriage. But clearly we know that even after the marriage, she was doing this. Um, God asked, asked her to ask Hosea to go find her, pay off her debts to her lovers and to commit his love and faithfulness to her once again. Uh, and we see that Hosea obeys this, you know, he marries her and he has three children with her. And we will look at why God asked in just a moment. Uh, but it's important that we also look at these three children uh, and the names that the Lord gave these three children, because it has an important meaning um, in the message that God is giving through this book. So if any of you uh, need good names for your children, here are three interesting names uh, for all of you. You know, the three children were named as Jezreel. That's the first one. Uh, the second one we see is Lo Ruhama. Um, and, and the third one that we see is Lo Ami. And I'm going to explain to you what these three names mean because it's very important. So the first name that we see for the first son um, was Jezreel. And this name was given, um, you know, after the value of Jezreel that we see uh, that is explained in verses three to verse five. Now, Jezreel was the name of a great plain known for its beauty and richness. However, over uh, a period of time, you know, it was damaged because of various battles that happened um, in this particular place. You know, it was also the name of the city where Ahab and Jezebel committed many notorious murders. You can read that in 1 Kings chapter 21. Um, and Jeru killed Joram, Ahaziah, and Jezebel. And that you read in 2 Kings 9, verse 14 to 37. The point being what God was trying to uh, tell the people through naming um, Hosea's first child is Jezreel is this, uh, that, you know, Israel once was a beautiful place, but it had become disfigured and devastated by the dis um, deceitfulness of sin and its, and its bloodgate um, as a nation. And this was the reason why God named the first son as Jezreel. And then we move to the second um, child and the second one is a daughter. And God asked Hosea to name her Lo Ruhama. Now, Ruhama refers to God's tender mercy. Uh, it literally means womb. You know, it symbolizes the astonishing love that Yahweh bears for um, the chosen people. <clears throat> Excuse me. However, the, if you look at the name, it's not just Ruhama, but you see a negative prefix given to the name, like Lo Ruhama. Lo really means no. Okay. It means so what the name means is no mercy or no pity. Uh, and it really shows. 
the message of the withdrawal of God's mercy, withdrawal of God's love and compassion for Israelites. You know, God had not changed. It's important to keep in mind, God had not changed, but Israel did. Though God had dealt with Israel with so much patience, uh, you know, Israel was unfaithful to God. Um, and because of Israel's unfaithfulness, um, you know, uh, God is saying that she would eat the fruit of her own way. Um, and that is how God is not going to show mercy. And that's, that's kind of the, the message that God is giving through this, the naming of the second child. And the third child that we see is Lo-Ami. So just like um, um, uh, the, first, the second name that we see, um, you know, Lo gives a negative prefix. So it says, not my people. That's what the name means, not my people. And this was important. And it was, you know, if you think about it, it's really a devastating name to have, right? Um, you know, because the Lord is saying, you know, I'm really rejecting the people of Israel because of the sinful state. You know, why? Because Israel had played the harlot and abandoned God. And, the now, uh, and now the Lord was compelled to disown his own people. Um, and, and because of their sin, you know, God is saying, you're not my people. Um, and be, being the people of the living God, um, they did, you know, they, they, they destroyed the name of the Lord through their actions. And because of that, the Lord says, you know, you're not going to be my people. There will be uh, judgment. Now, um, if you pay close attention to these names and the meanings of these names, I'm sure that you might be wondering why would God bless them with children and, you know, really give them bad names, Right. Um, you know, it's important to keep in mind, you know, though Hosea pronounced judgment on Israel, um, you know, um, by naming them this, uh, these names, um, he also anticipated a reversal, you know, when his children would be named. For example, um, Ruhama says, you know, no mercy. And if you look into um, chapter 2 and verse 23, one of the things that you read there is um, God himself says through Hosea that, um, I will sow her for myself in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy. And you remember the name Lo Ami, not my people. Look at the next phrase in verse 23. It says that, and I will say not to my people, you are my people. So there is, though the message is of no hope as he names them later, Hosea, um, God through Hosea says that there is hope. You know, God is going to redeem them once for all. Um, and, and I hope that, you know, our hearts will not be discouraged by the way God names them. You know, God definitely had a plan, but God wanted the people of Israel to get the message of their sin, that they have been unfaithful to God. So moving forward, now we're going to answer the question, you know, why would God ask Hosea to marry Gomer? You know, what was the message God was really trying to convey as he was asking Hosea to marry Gomer? And if you look at, um, this passage carefully, if you look at chapter three and verse one, you know, it says, you know, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So basically uh, what God is really trying to show is, you know, this broken marriage and repaired marriage, the children, it's all a prophetic symbol telling the story of God's relationship to Israel. You know, it's really to show God's relationship with the Israelites. You know, see, um, it, it's important to keep in mind, you know, God has been that faithful husband to Israel. 
you know, as we have been studying um, from the beginning of Old Testament, you know, God is the one who rescued Israel out of slavery. He brought them to Mount Sinai where he entered into covenant relationship with these people. You know, he asked them to be faithful to him alone. Uh, but then um, as he brought Israel into the promised land and when they had abundance and blessings, they started to forget God. Uh, just like how Gomer was unfaithful in this story, Israelites was unfaithful. They were unfaithful to God. You know, they dedicated themselves to worship the Canaanite God uh, who's called Baal. Uh, and so God, you know, he has a legitimate reason as to why you know, he's asking Hosea to marry Goma. He's, he wanted the people of Israel to know his merciful heart, you know, his never-ending love for the people of Israel. And, and also he wanted them to know about their unfaithfulness, how they have turned away from this faithful God to, you know, idols and worshipping them and turning and forgetting this God and only going to God when they really need help. Right. Um, and this is this was to show that uh, beautiful picture, you know, uh, and, and it, it's, it's encouraging and humbling to see this. You know, he could have ended, you know, that covenant and divorce Israel, but rather he says that he's going to pursue Israel again and renew his covenant with them. You know that you see that in chapter two and verses 14 uh, to 23. You know, it's I just want to read you that verse there, you know, verse 14 says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her um, her vineyards and make the valley of Akur a door of hope. And there she's, she's, shall answer as in the days of her youth. And at the time when she comes out of the land of Egypt and if, and the words we read earlier um, in, from verse 21, we see, and in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil and they shall answer Jezreel and I will sow her for myself in the land. I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. You know, this really shows the very heart of God uh, for um, the unfaithful. And he says, you know, it's purely because of his love and compassion for um, compassion for his people. And that is why God is going to pursue them regardless of their unfaithfulness. And this is the reason why, um, you know, um, uh, Hosea was asked to marry Goma. Um, and in the following passages, what we really see is Hosea spelling out uh, what all of this really means. Okay, He says that uh, there is going to be consequences for Israel's rebellion. Uh, there's going to be consequences. You know, they will be defeated by other nations and go into exile. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that there is future hope. You know, one day Israel will once again repent and come back to worship their God and Hosea. And he will place them, uh, place over them a new messiah, messianic king um, uh, from the line of David who will bring God's blessing to them. So really the main idea or the main truth that we're going to see in the book of Hosea is this. As Israel continues to rebel against God, God is going to bring severe consequences, but his own covenant love and mercy are more powerful than Israel's sin. Let me repeat that again. This is really the main point of Hosea. As Israel continues to rebel, rebel against God, God is going to bring severe consequences, but his own covenant love and mercy are more powerful 
than Israel's sin. And church, as we look at this a little more in depth, I really hope that we won't miss that point. Um, you know, and so in the remaining sections, that is from chapter four uh, to the end, we're really going to see uh, God's accusations and warnings uh, for Israel. But it's not just accusations and warnings, but each of the section ends with a hopeful uh, message from God. So we're going to see that right after we see uh, the accusations and warnings for Israel. So one of the things that we will see is how Hosea explores uh, the cause and effects of Israel's unfaithfulness, you know, cause and effects of Israel's unfaithfulness. And one of the things that you will specifically see, you know, as you observe from this text is these two words that has been repeatedly used in this uh, book, that is knowledge and understanding. You know, he says numerous times that Israel lacks all knowledge or understanding of God. And you might wonder, Israel, out of all the nation, why would they lack all knowledge? I mean, they are God's people. If, if there is any people group that should know about God, that should be the Israelites, right? Uh, but the Hebrew word that is used here, that is to know, um, is, is translated as yada. It's more than just, you know, intellectual activity. You know, it's not just intellectually knowing God, but it really describes personal relation, relational knowledge, you know, personal relational knowledge of God. You know, it's basically the difference between just knowing about someone um, and then actually knowing that someone. I hope that makes sense. You know, it's not just knowing someone, but actually, you know, knowing this person on a personal level. And God really wants the Israelites to know him like that. You know, he wants to have that relationship with the Israelites. He wants them to experience his love for them and become the kind of knowledge, you know, that transforms their hearts and lives so that they love him in return. And church, this is very important for all of us this morning as well, because many times we are just like the Israelites. We know God intellectually, uh, but we struggle to know God personally, right? Um, I mean, um, many of you who have grown up in a Christian home, just like me, uh, we've been taught the scripture from the time we've been able to read, right? Um, our parents, the first book that they gift us is the Bible, right? The first words that come out of our mouth usually is prayer, right? They teach us how to pray. And, and we've been taught the scripture all our life. Um, and we know all these things about God, all the stories in the Bible. You know, Reese, I, I, right now my nieces and uh, nephews are here. And every day before we go to bed, when we sit together and we pray, my sisters make sure that they all share verses from the Bible or some Bible story. Um, my nephew, Mika, has a very interesting way of telling the story of David and Goliath. And as I hear him say this story, um, I'm, I'm so encouraged to see his passion uh, to say the story um, as he says, you know, David killed this giant Goliath. And, and as he's sharing last week, I was just in my heart thinking to myself, God, I hope that one day, um, you know, Mika would uh, know this God who allowed David to do this. You know, he would not just know this story um, of, of, of this God who helped David, uh, but, you know, he would know this God who can help him in his life. And this is true for all of us. Uh, we might know all these stories in, in, in back of our mind, but how personal is this God to us? You know, how personal is this God to you and me? 
when we say terms like god is merciful god is sovereign in our day to day lives does these truths really transform our perspective of life you know does these truths really change the perspective we have for life just you know i want to be honest um and i shared this with few brothers you know last one week has been really um a very difficult week for me and i thank god for the series that we've been going and i thank god uh, f- for the truths that he's been teaching me because as i've been learning these truths from the scripture you know um every day before i go to bed i have this practice of um just going through my notes on my phone or a book that i write my notes and as i look at it i pray and i remind myself to calm my heart to look to god and some of these truths that i learned is from the series that we're going through and i was reminded few weeks back we were taught about god's sovereignty and george and with so much power was teaching the church right uh, regardless of what situation we are going god is good he is doing what is good for us and it was important for my heart to just be still and to know and you know believe in this truth and to make this my own uh, not just you know intellectually knowing these things but to have that you know relationship with god that at all times i would run to god and not anywhere else and israelites um, lacked that they only knew god intellectually and nothing beyond that um so hosea then goes on to point out some of the hindrances for them to not know god uh, for example in chapter 14 was one he says for you have stumbled because of your iniquities you know there were a lot of sins uh, that was stopping them to really know god where they were um, you know they were um, deep down into the sin uh, they had nothing they could do that could save them and hosea points at some of the sins in this a uh, book and i want to point some of them to each one of us this morning we're not going to go through all of them and some of the sins is not specifically said you know but it, it this is the real uh, this these are some of the ideas that we get from this book you know one of the sins that we see is unfaithfulness you know adultery specifically right that's 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 how hosea depicts uh, the unfaithfulness of israel it's through adultery you know although husband yahweh has provided for his wife israel through the ages you know the benefits of that covenantal relationship that they have um you know this provision was taken for granted you know just look with me to uh, chapter 2 and verse um 8 uh, it says you know um and she did not know that it was i who gave her the grain the wine and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold which they used for bar you know even though god gave everything uh, provided every blessing for them they were unfaithful they gave it to baal they served baal and they just like gomer have turned to other gods you know israel puts its trust in baal's provision um for their basic necessities like food water clothing um and they've forgotten their true and living god church we sometimes do this right when we have so many things in our life uh, that god has provided we sometimes are unfaithful to god we forget the true living god and we turn to other things um and and that that is one way we just like the israelites commit adultery moving forward another sin that we see is hypocrisy okay hosea con- con- uh, consistently you know he's he's um um exposing the hypocrisy of israel's worship you know he constantly shows in this book how israelites they're breaking the 10 commandments you know how they um they're loving you know grave injustice in their communities and then the next thing they do is they go to worship god in the sacred temples 
um, to offer to God worship. And you see that in actually Hosea chapter 8 was 1 to 4. We're not going to read it, but you can read it um, later. Um, you know, they're kind of saying, you know, um, uh, in verse 2, um, my God, we Israel know you. Um, and it, and and God is really saying that no, that's not how it works. Okay, um, you know, Hosea mentions many times that their altars to Baal um, is seen. You know, at the city of Bethel and Gilgal, and not only have they uh, have they gone and have um, you, know, um, uh, you know done things with these other people, but they've really worshipped these gods. Um, so instead of, you know, really trusting God to protect them and become like the nation that they're supposed to be, uh, they have they've completely turned away. Look, they've turned their eyes to other gods and they worship these other gods and they do all these um, sinful things. And then they come and they worship God in sacred temple, Yahweh in sacred temple. And, and Hosea points out their hypocrisy throughout this book. Um, and church, many times we do this too, right? Let's just take our last week for that fact, right? How many of us um, have completely forgotten God from last Sunday till Friday? Oh, sorry, till Saturday. And then this morning we have come to worship God. Sometimes, you know, worship becomes too ritualistic that we forget um, that, you know, every day we are called to worship God. Every day we are called to focus and put our eyes to God. Every day we are called to trust in this God. You know, let's not be hypocrites like the people of Israelites in this story. Now, I want to keep moving forward because we have a lot to cover. So the next thing that we see is idolatry, right? Um, the issue was not just the fact that they turned to other gods, but they really started to worship these other gods. You know, Hosea makes it very clear, um, you know, about this sin in uh, chapter 4 and verse 12. You know, he, God says, my people inquire a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them or gives them oracles right um so this is really a prophetic sarcasm um and and what really god is saying you know this this people they're looking at the woods and expecting the woods to give them oracles right um and 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 you can really see how far these people have turned away and they've really lost it in other words uh, dr william mounts uh, says that you know the downward spiral of sin starts with idolatry Idolatry is more than wooden statues, uh, statues, though idolatry is anything that takes the place of God. And an idol is anything that we desire more than we desire God. You know, we become idolaters if we love something more than we love God. We are idolaters if we desire something more than we desire God. We are, we are idolaters if we seek something more than we seek God. Sin starts with idolatry of removing God from the throne where he belongs and loving things of creation to creep back up and take over his throne. Church, let me ask all of us, including myself, this question this morning. What are some of the idols in our lives that has taken the place of God? That is sitting on the throne that God is supposed to be seated in our lives. Church, you know, it's important for us to keep in mind that, you know, as I was thinking Many times, and I know we've been hearing a lot of sermons centered around um, uh, idols, right? And many times when we look at, um, you know, idolatry in the scripture, I'm sure many of us will be convicted that day and we're going to write down a list of idols um, that we have in our lives. But I want to encourage us not to just write, but, you know, take active steps to, you know, um, get rid of these idols. 
because because anything that takes the place of god in our lives is the one that we're going to worship the one we're going to spend most of our time pursuing in our life the one that we're going to spend most of our time seeking desiring in our lives um so church let's not be like the people of israelites you know the downward spiral um you know starts with idolatry um when we set our focus away from god onto something else so let's be careful on that moving forward the fourth sin that we see is luxury okay uh, i just want to specifically say that you know luxury or material blessing in itself is not a sin okay it is not a sin but loving these things more than god is a sin you know where you are dying for these things is a sin the problem was with the israelites was the fact that when they had everything they forgot god and hosea repeatedly speaks about this in this book and this happens to all of us right many times when we have things that we really need or many many times when we have anything for that fact we tend to forget god we forget the very need of god in our lives i mean when we receive something probably the first thing you and i do is we would run to god and say god thank you for this gift right but what about the other days are we thankful for all the material blessings that god has given us if we are not having a heart of gratitude we will become like the people of israel where we forget god and set our focus on these things you know we think we have everything so it's okay you know um a few years back when i was um staying with a family in cbf um there was a lesson that i learned from their prayer every day when i sat down with them for prayer you know this family every time when they prayed um they would thank god for every blessing that they have and they would specifically name them uh, this was a great lesson for me to learn and this is something that i put into my prayer life you know they would pray for the car the house um the bed every silly things that you and i would think of but i thought it was an incredible practice to have uh, to keep our hearts humble and not lose focus on material things um you know to to be thankful at all things uh, in our lives and 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 when we do that you know we we realize the fact that everything that we have comes from god and we are to use these things for god and and it just keeps us in a place where we realize that um apart from god you know i'm not going to have any of these things and i want to thank god constantly for these things um and and we really put our complete trust in in god um so the israelites failed uh because of all these sins that we just saw and we see god um um in you know, pouring out um uh, his wrath or punishment for the same um uh, for all these sins now i just want to keep moving forward um and another thing that we see in this particular section is historical examples of israel's unfaithfulness so on your notes you can um write these things so firstly one of the things that hosea does is he points out you know jacob's lying and treachery how jacob got his things done by lying and that kind of shows again um his unfaithfulness and then he goes on to show israel's rebellion in the wilderness while they were in the wilderness how they rebelled against god constantly and that we see in chapter 13 was 5 to 6 and then finally god even shows that you know you asked for a king and um you were appointed uh, king uh, and i appointed a king for you that is king saul and he's really showing how this corrupted king saul led this people and led them to disaster in chapter 13 verse 10 um so church i i would encourage you to all go back and read through this passage i wish i could um go through this verses but because of time i want to be respectful of time we're going to keep moving forward 
Um, but what Hosea really doing in this section is really showing uh, how Israelites have become, um, you know, unfaithful by pointing out their sins and also looking back and saying, you know, uh, these things have been happening for a while. And, you know, in another way, he's really saying, you know, some things don't really change. Uh, you guys keep sinning. You keep on being unfaithful towards God. And that's not really good. Um, so as you see, you know, completely what we really understand is there's a lot of negativity, right, about the Israelites. And you might be thinking, why would God even love such kind of people? You know, why would God even pursue such kind of people? And I was just thinking, if there was someone like that in my life, would I love them? You know, would I be willing to forgive them? Would I even pursue them, right? Uh, but this book does not end like that, right? There is hope. Um, and, and Hosea has a hopeful message. And that is what we're going to see um, uh, in, in the following section, God's message of hope for the people of Israelites. And we're going to specifically look at chapter 11 and verse 14. You know, initially in chapter 3, um, the passage that um, Steve, uh, Sam read for us, uh, we kind of uh, got a glimpse, you know, God is going to do something to serve and restore his people. And that's what we're going to really see from chapter 11 and verse, uh, chapter 11 and chapter 14. I want to quickly look at um, chapter 11 um, um, and verse 1 to 7. Okay, I'm not going to read, um, but I want to point out a few verses. Okay, for example, uh, verse 1 When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my um, son. Um, look at verse 3. Yet it was I who taught, taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, and but they did not know that I healed them. Um, you know, the first point that we need to understand about God's message of hope is this, that God is a loving father from the beginning. He is a loving father to all of us. You know, this poem depict, depicts God's God as a loving father who raised his son Israel and then shared everything with him, right? And, and I was just picturing this as in, in a humanly way, you know, how um, if I were to have a son, I, how I would give everything to the son. You know, I would teach him how to walk. I would teach him everything from his young age and give him everything. But the story doesn't end there, right? Um, um, they go on to rebel against God, even though God was a loving father who raised Israel up, uh, they rebel against God uh, and turned from this father to other things. You know, they took advantage of God's generosity uh, and, and God is really broken up. And that is where we're going to see the second point. First point was God is a loving father. Second is God is a merciful father. And this is the section that Joby read before uh, we sang that song, verse eight to nine. We see that even though they rebelled, even though they turned away from God, you know, God is really angry um, and naturally he's going to bring severe consequences. But what we really see is he's heartbroken. And then he says that he's moved by his mercy and compassion. He's going to forgive the son that he loves. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? My heart churns inside of me. All my compassion is aroused. And so while God did allow Israel to be conquered by Syrians to face the consequences, that's not God's final word, right? You know, God um, shows mercy and compassion. And then he goes on to say in chapter 14 that he is a healing God. And that is really the hope um, um, of, of this book. You know, uh, if you look at chapter 14, verse 4 to 7, we read like this, that um, I will hear, heal that 
um, apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the wine. The frame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. You know, God is a healing father. Church, I hope we don't miss that point. You know, though Hosea calls Israel to repent and turn back to their God, Hosea really knows that, you know, it won't last long because it has never happened in the past, in the history Maybe Israel has repented, but they kept going back into the sin. And Hosea says, one day God will heal their waywardness. Okay, one day God is going to heal their apostasy. Their God is going to set them free. God goes on to describe that this new heal Israel is like a lush tree that will grow deep roots and broad branches and offer shade and fruit to all of the nations. So this is important because this is really what God promised Abraham, isn't it? He said, you know, what that promise was really how Israel was to become a blessing to the nations. And God is saying, if that's ever going to happen, it's going to require an act of God's grace and healing power to repair the deep brokenness and sinfulness and selfishness of the human heart so that God's people can receive his love and love him in return. And this is what God promises to do in Hosea. Now we're going to move into the last section. And this is where I want to bring the most important message of the book of Hosea, the gospel picture, according to the book of Hosea. Now I'm sure that as you've been hearing me, I'm sure that many of you would have had lots of different gospel pictures already in your mind. But this morning, I want to point you to one specific message that we clearly see in this book. And I really don't want us to miss this. And I want to turn your attention to Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1. And this is the passage our dear brother read for us this morning. Um, Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though even as uh, as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, you know, um, one of the first things that we said in the beginning uh, when we started this series is the fact that this whole counsel of God points to one message. Right? This is really about one message: God's salvation for mankind, God's redeeming work for mankind. This is not just a message. Uh, that we see, you know, gospel is not just a message that we see in New Testament. It really, uh, we could really see this even in the Old Testament. This, this story is just a perfect example of that. Unfaithful, adulterous, idolaters, hypocrites, unloving people like Israel were the ones God pursued relentlessly in this story. Church, you and I, just like the people of Israel, Israel were born in sin. We were dead in sin. In fact, that's how the scripture teaches us. You know, we were unable to love God. We were people who did not seek him, nor did we turn to God. Scripture says all have together turned away from God. That, that, that's you and me. But it is you and me that God loved and sent his son to die for our sins. And it's so interesting right here. Uh, God asked Hosea to go pay off the debts of Goma and love her, bring her back. God sent his son 
not to pay off our sins by some cash money or anything but really to give up his own life god sent his son to die for our sins to take our sins our wrath everything that we have committed against god to take it upon himself um uh, sorry i said our god's wrath and he bore god's wrath on the cross for our sins and he died but our savior did not just die but he rose up again victorious giving us hope you know israelites repented they went back to sin they repented went back to sin they did not enjoy freedom that we can enjoy today from sin that jesus offers through his redemptive work so church if there is anyone or friends who are joined us this morning anyone who is listening to this message this morning i want to humbly ask you if you are living in sin just like the people of israelites i want to humbly request you to turn away repent of your sins and believe in jesus christ you can have the freedom that the gospel offers don't miss it don't miss it church and if there is anyone believers who are living in sin who are struggling in sin just like the israelites you think you are being unfaithful to god you know your story doesn't end here there is hope for you look to jesus right look to jesus look to god he can heal your your sin he can give you freedom from your sin you know god sent his son jesus to love sinners like us to bring us back to him by paying um his uh, the price of our sins by dying on the cross for us and and he he loves us um with an everlasting love and i really hope church we don't miss it but god not only saved us but as a church god redeemed us right as a church he bought us as a precious blood and he he established a church um, and and that is the new testament picture that we see right um in the old testament the illustration is given between hosea as the husband and and um, gomer as the wife how hosea pursued loved um and redeemed um gomer in new testament we see jesus giving up his life for the church and redeeming the church and william mounts says like this you know when this image imagery moves into the new testament it is picked up as the image of you and i collectively being the bride of christ you know it is a little difficult concept for people to get their hands around but nonetheless it is tremendously important concept that all of us together men and women as the church are the bride of christ now here's something very important paul tells in corinthians chapter um 11 verse 2 corinthians chapter 11 was to that i betroth you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to christ you see uh, that is really the intent of paul okay uh, many times we mistake the intent of paul that his intention really is that um was to help us come to faith live as disciples grow into maturity so that when we stand before god we are pure we are virgins not whores okay uh, we are not prostitutes but we are virgins we are pure we are presented as paul tells um to the ephesian church as well pure and blameless before him that is how god wants us to present ourselves before him you know later in um, revelation chapter 19 when we see about the marriage lamp one of the things that we see is in verse 7 let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamp has come and his bride has made herself ready church we need to be ready 
okay we need to be ready in order for that to happen we need to work and grow in our maturity as a church together it does not allow us to live our life however we want okay that's not how god wants us to live god has redeemed us now we are his as a church it's important for us to grow in maturity to present ourselves pure blameless as a virgin before him now is concluding um i want to move into the application what can you and i learn from the book of hosea as you can see there are a lot of applications that i've put here and i just want to quickly run through them um but as i run through them church uh, i'm not going to spend a lot of time on these things but i would encourage you know cell group leaders you know uh, look at these questions in your small groups or even in your, during your personal time you can look at these questions you know i want to divide this into three sections first is truths we can learn from the life of israelites and goma you know um firstly what are different ways we have become unfaithful to god uh, this is an important question for us to ask ourselves you know would you take a moment to examine how you have spent this week you know what are different ways you have turned to other gods of this world and don't just stop there um you know it's important that we take measures to change our lifestyle to become faithful to god alone because god said you know in the 10 commandments you shall have no other gods apart from me right um the so second question that we see is how do we come to experience god more tangibly in our everyday lives you know as i said earlier the israelites only knew god intellectually but not on a personal level you know it's important to no god on a person level do you just know god intellectually or do you really know him on a personal experience you know how do we grow in that we grow that grow in that by studying his word you know this is the word that the lord has given us to know him um not just intellectually but to personally have that connection as you study this word draw out applications for your life remind yourself of these applications every day you know write them down you know go back to them every day and look if i live according to it secondly have a community relationship be plugged into your cell groups they are important um, um you know blessings that god has given us to have an accountable relationship with one another you know share what the lord has taught you have an accountable partner in your life who can ask you difficult questions where you will start you know not just knowing these truths that you've learned but who will ask you hey brother how did this truth change your life you know allow other believers into your life third question are we obedient to god's word and respond in genuine worship or are we hypocrites like israelites you know are we really uh, worshiping god ritualistically or are we here you know let's ask us this morning are you here um because the lord has taught you great things about him over the week and you know respond in worship to god um what are the what are the reasons why you are here this morning don't become a hypocrite you know um don't make don't try to fool god in other words church one thing i've learned in my life is you can fool anybody but you can't fool god uh and i really hope we don't do that because we will face consequences for that and and just like the israelites we're going to just um you know drive away from god um and we won't even realize and that that is the place where we will be if we don't take care of this next question you know who are we really worshiping today 
um, you know, is there anybody else who have taken the place of God in my life? And what are the things that is robbing off my joy in worshiping God? You know, this morning, if, if you have been distracted, you know, ask yourself, what are the things that is robbing off my joy in worshiping God? Next question, how can we fight the sin of idolatry? You know, loving something more than I love God, desiring something more than I desire God, seeking something more than I seek God. You know, three words I want to pick out from that question is love, desire, seek. One of the ways you can answer this question is answering the question, who do I love the most in my life? Who do I desire the most in my life? Who do I seek the most in my life? Now, take some time to examine. As you examine, this will allow you to understand who is really the one you're worshiping or if it's some other idols in your life. You know, how can we grow in genuine repentance and not just momentary guilt trips? You know, the reason why I put this point here is because one of the truths that we see in this text, in this book is Israel constantly, they repented, they went back to sin. And this happens to many of us, right? We repent and we go back to sin. But it's important for us to have a true understanding of what repentance is. Repentance is not just saying sorry. Okay, Many of us confuse confession with repentance. Repentance is turning away from sin and turning to God. Okay, Turning away from sin and turning to God. Look at the sins that you're struggling in your life and ask yourself if you have truly repented or you're just going through this momentary guilt trips in your life. Finally, um, you know, since we as a church... Um, our God's bride, you know, do we live as his disciples and grow into maturity so that when we stand before Christ, we are pure and blameless. Church, um, our church is not, you know, about one person or few people or the elders or things like that. You know, it's, it's, it's a community of believers coming together, redeemed by the blood of Christ, one body. We all need to work together. We need each other. We need to encourage each other. Uh, we need to build one another, equip one another up um, to present ourselves blameless before the Lord. So ask ourselves, you know, what are the ways I am helping the church? What are the ways, uh, how are the ways I'm plugged into the church? What are the ways I'm serving the church? For that to happen. If not, you know, I want to encourage you to speak to the elders, you know, speak to the responsible brothers and think of ways you can serve the church. Two more points and I'll close here. Truths we can learn from the life of Hosea. You know, Hosea was asked to marry an unfaithful person. Uh, and it's important for us to ask this question. You know, do we have God-like love for the unfaithful? Are we forgiving to them? You know, um, Hosea had that God-like love to pursue an unfaithful woman and to marry her. And you can see the extent he went to to show that love. You know, are we like Hosea, um, loving the unfaithful? Are we forgiving to them? You know, do we have faith like Hosea to obey God when he asks us to do things that might seem wrong to us? Church, it's important for us to keep in mind that God does not do things, nor God does ask us to do things um, that is um, out of his plan or that is not for our good. Our God is a good God. Every blessing that flows out of him, everything that comes out of him is good as we read in James chapter one. Let us not forget of that truth. Finally, are we faithful in our covenant relationship with God? One of the things that we see is Hosea married this woman. He was faithful uh, to this woman. Church, are we faithful to God in our relationship with God? Moving forward, um, Truths to remind ourselves about God. Truths to remind ourselves about God. Firstly, God is a faithful God. Church, I was so encouraged as I studied the book of Hosea. Um, what stood out for me is God. 
Okay, and that's that's where I want to end this sermon this morning. God is a faithful God. He, if He has kept His, if He has kept, uh, if He has um, gotten into a covenant relationship with you and me, He will keep His word. He is faithful. He will never change. He has never changed. Church, we are almost the end of Old Testament. Remember, in the beginning, when God got into covenant relationship, we have come almost. Um, you know, we have covered a lot of books here, and one of the things that you and I should not forget that God never changed. He has always been that faithful God, and it is the same for you and me. If you and I, um, if God has given us promises, church, let us not forget that God will keep His promises. He is good. He is faithful. Please do not forget that. Remind ourselves of that truth every day of our lives. Secondly, God is a compassionate. And merciful God. God is a compassionate and merciful God. Let's just look at that verse again. Chapter 11, verse 8 and 9. Um, you know, I just want to look at the last bit. For I am God and not a man, the holy one in your midst, and I will not come and wrath. Church, every moment of our lives, we are living because of God's endless mercy towards us. Let's not forget that. We are breathing this moment because of his mercy upon us, his kindness upon us. What you and I really deserve is his wrath, but he will not come in wrath because he is a merciful God to us. And, and if you look in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10, we read like this, how God extends his mercy to us. And it's quite interesting because of what we read in chapter 2 um, and verse 23, we said that I will have no mercy um, uh, sorry, he says, I will say to uh, uh, not my people that you are my people and I will have mercy on no mercy. And when you look at Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 10, you know, uh, Peter points this out and he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise be to God that we have a God who is a merciful God. Thirdly, God is a loving father. Um, he's a father who loves us selflessly. He is a father who loves us unconditionally. He's always going to be there for us. Finally, God is a righteous judge. God is a righteous judge. The reason why I wanted to put this point here is, you know, I don't want us to mis mistake God in any way. You know, I don't want us to take God's grace and God's mercy for granted in any ways. Okay. He is a righteous judge. When we don't turn away from sins, there is consequences, but his sin, but his mercy and his grace abounds our sin. He will always pursue the runaway and he will always send people to, um, to speak to us or remind us through his word or different ways for us to turn. And that really shows God's heart. Church, I was even reminded this morning, this sermon God gave to my heart and to each one of you is because God is pursuing each one of us. Maybe there are some of us who need to turn away from the sins that we're living in. And God wants us to know that if we don't repent and turn away, we are going to face consequences. And when God sends people and God disciplines us, it's not to destroy us, church. It was never to destroy us, but to really bring us back to God. It is really to bring us back to God. And that is really the very heart of God. Our faithful God. Um, our husband stands before us with an open arm, uh, an outstretched hand, and, and with a heart that is ready to forgive each one of us and to receive you and me back to him. If only we will be faithful to him, empowered by the spirit, 
clothed in righteous deeds of the saints. Church, before I close, I want to draw us back to the main point. I want to read you how this book ends and pray for us. The main point of this book is this. As Israel continues to rebel against God, God is going to bring severe consequences, but his own covenant love and mercy are more powerful than Israel's sin. I want to conclude by reading the last verse of this book, and I want to pray for us from this verse. Hosea chapter 14, verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we want to confess that, uh, Lord, we are not really uh, wise or, uh, you know, well discerning. Uh, many times, Father, we do a lot of things out of a selfish heart, just like the people of Israelites. Now, many times we have been so unfaithful to you in our actions, in our words. Uh, Lord, I have, and I want to say that I'm sorry. Uh, but Father, I'm so thankful for who you are. You are a merciful God. You are a gracious God. You are a God who loves us with an everlasting love. And your love is steadfast. It never changes. It never changed. Father, thankful for taking us through this book and showing us of who you are. Uh, Father, we humble our hearts before you. Uh, Father, we just pray that, Lord, um, you know, if there are sins that we need to turn away from our lives, that you would help us. Father, your ways are right. Uh, and Father, help us to be upright and help us to walk in those ways. Let us not stumble and fall and, 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 and have a downward spiral in our sinfulness, Lord Father, but really lift us up. Father, I want to confess that I really don't have that strength, uh, but Father, you are a merciful, holy God uh, who gives me that strength through your son and the spirit who lives in me. And I want to pray for my brothers and sisters. I want to pray for our church that you would help us uh, to turn away from our wickedness. Help us to turn from turn away from our unfaithfulness to become faithful towards you, Lord Father. Uh, let the spirit who dwells in us work in us. Uh, Father, by the power of the gospel, let us enjoy the freedom. Let us embrace Jesus. Uh, let us embrace the part, the, the, the fruit of the gospel, the freedom that the gospel offers us, Lord Father. Let us not live as slaves to sin. Let us not live as adulterers, as, as idolaters. Let us fix our eyes on you alone, Lord Father. Let us worship you alone, Lord Father. Let not the things of this world take our eyes off you, but with a humble heart, always know that this good God loves us, this good God uh, gives us everything, and we are to be thankful for all of these things, Lord Father. Thank you for the book of Hosea. Thank you for this message. Thank you for speaking to my heart and speaking to the church this morning. Let this word bear fruit, Lord Father. Let it not um, be empty in anyone's heart, Lord Father. Let us respond in humility and in meekness and accept the word of God into our lives and turn away from wickedness to you. Thank you, Father. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.